Once upon a time, if we were upset or disagreed with a person, policy, or decision, our thoughts on the matter rippled out maybe as far as our second or third degree connections, but usually no further. Things moved fairly slowly. Of course, I'm talking about pre-internet and social media, and we could generally trust our information sources. But now, almost everyone, with a single click on the word post or tweet, we can share our thoughts with friends and strangers alike, and we can unknowingly spread misinformation or rumors that have the potential to do some harm. If we take the bait when others post provocative content, any possibility of civility goes right out the window. Our question this episode. What are some best practices to help us engage constructively with one another on social media rather than destructively? Welcome to episode 56 of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. And I'm your host, Beth Bilo. If you've listened for a while, you know that I've been doing a series of trainings on communication and conflict here in Muskegon, where I live in Michigan. And I just wrapped up the fourth and final session this week. One of the topics that attendees were most interested in was social media, specifically how to handle nasty comments and misinformation. As we are on the cusp of an election year, and being that we are in the middle of a divisive impeachment process, it seems timely and appropriate to share the tips that I shared in my workshop with you here on this podcast. Before I jump in, though, I want to say how grateful I am to have you as a listener, and how wonderful it is that you are committed to having more courageous conversations in your life. Since we launched, how can I say this, a little over a year ago, the podcast has had almost fifty thousand downloads from listeners in sixty-nine countries, and I think that's just absolutely amazing. And I'm super grateful. I hope you'll spread the word and share this podcast with friends, family, and colleagues who might find value in it. You can. Also, give the podcast a boost through your reviews and ratings on whatever podcast platform you listen to. If everyone listening took literally one minute to rate, review, or share, we'll all have made a huge contribution to encouraging more compassionate, thoughtful communication in the world. Thank you for considering that. Okay, let's talk social media. I'm not going to talk about any specific platforms. What I'm going to share applies whether you're, you know, talking about LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of the other seemingly everyday new thousands of platforms that are popping up out there.、Um, this is these are general best practices. So consider them for whatever platform you like to play on. First is to, you know, understand the enormous power and responsibility. Your words reach thousands, and sometimes, in some of you, they might reach millions. And those words live forever. That is just that's enormous.、Um, and there's there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. As we know, as we see people who both can. Create a platform for themselves, and reach a lot of people, and spread good messages and healthy news. And then we have other people who don't use it responsibly, and it, with you know the click of a button, can destroy their entire careers. That's the power and influence of social media. 
And there are absolutely some who understand that power, but they ignore the responsibility. And they do that in favor of shares and retweets. If you're really interested in this particular point, um, there's an episode of Hidden Brain titled Screaming into the Void, How Outrage is Hijacking Our Culture and Our Minds. And um, they talk about social media in particular during this episode, but also generally about the media and how we re- how we respond to it. According to one of the researchers that was interviewed um, named Jay Van Bavel, He said that in a study that he had done, that for every moral, emotional word that people use in a tweet, we found that it increased the amount of retweeting from other people who saw it by 15 to 20 percent. So a moral, emotional word is anything that kind of activates you, and it includes any use of profanity and with some words probably having a little bit more charge than others, and you could probably guess what those are without me saying them. And then other words that evoke strong emotion, such as greed, crazy, loser, war, hate, idiot, criminal, racist, and punish. Those are some of the words that they found increased the amount of traction that a post had and led to it being shared more than others that did not contain those words. And it's just like in advertising, we know that certain words like free or limited time or sale or the color red, you know, can activate us and cause us to spring into some sort of action. These words trigger something in them that makes them respond. And most of the time that response is sharing it. Knowing that there are those activating words, we can consciously decide that we're not going to take the bait. And we can be among those who are committed to using social media and responding responsibly. Here are some tips for doing that. First, and this is something I learned a few years ago that has saved me many times, is read a post three times at least before you even think about responding. Because the first time, because of the way our brains work, and especially when it's something that's controversial, the first time you're probably scanning for words and phrases and information that feeds your confirmation bias, things that keep you kind of in your bubble and that you agree with and that affirm your position or values. So you're probably scanning for that, or you're scanning for things that go contrary to that, Um, reasons basically to get your back up, um, to raise your hackles. So that first time, it's more of an emotional and almost primal read that you're giving it. The second time, you can read it more slowly and really try to understand what the person who is commenting means by their comment. And then the third time, consider what warrants a response in their comment and what can be ignored. You don't have to respond to every point, even if it causes you some outrage. By reading it several times, you can tease out what is the most important thing that you feel like you need to offer a response for. And as you're doing all of this, Take an account the potentially that there's high emotion attached to it, that you have a lack of context. Not only do you not have tone of voice or body language, you don't know what's happened in a person's life that leads them to a certain response. 
one of the best things you can do is to just step back and ask, what else could this mean? And I mentioned that in the last episode as being one of those life-changing questions, something that can stop you from flying off the handle is by stepping back and saying, what else could this mean? Their comment might mean that they're uninformed or that they are feeling some fear. They might be just posturing or showing off or they're going for the likes or the shares or the retweets. And honestly, you know, their comment, it's really about them. It's a reflection of them. And it's not about you, even if it's a personal attack. And here's another point that is useful in taking your time before just firing off a response. And that's to stop. And if someone is sharing an article or a video or even a retweet or a repost of something, check the source and the date of that source. Over the past, you know, three, four, five years, I have seen so many posts about companies that are doing bad things or people that are making offensive statements. And then people on the social media platform will pile on in the comments about how horrible it all is. And then they'll share the post. The problem is that they don't take the time to read past the headline. They don't take the time to check the date or confirm the source or even confirm that it wasn't a debunked story. Misinformation spreads because we, the users, don't take time to verify the credibility of the information. Yes, the media outlets bear some responsibility, but we're often the ones that will take the ball and run with it regardless of the date or the context. It's more fun, honestly, to be outraged. They found that the reward centers in your brain are activated when you feel like you're punishing someone or setting them straight. And you can learn more about that in that same hidden brain episode that I mentioned, which I will link from the website, um, howcanisaythis.com. It's more fun to get outraged than it is to get the facts first. Many times, I've found when I've done a little bit of research that the story is, you know, years old, or it has since been proven to be false, or the company has righted whatever wrong they were accused of or that they did. So before commenting or sharing, read the post and read any comments, especially those that activate you and that you feel compelled to respond to at least three times. If you work for a company, a nonprofit, or a government agency, don't delete someone's comment unless that comment violates policy. Whether or not it's correct to think so, people will accuse you of censorship or say that their First Amendment rights have been violated, and that only serves to provoke them even more. If someone knows that they might have their comment deleted, it's highly likely that they have taken a screenshot of it and they'll post it later as proof that their opinions and their ideas are being censored. And so that's almost worse than just leaving it up there in the first place. So unless there's a policy violation or it's clearly abusive or offensive content, then let the comment stand. And once you've allowed that comment to stand... Just like reading it three times, pause and take time to decide when you will have the best response to it. If you need to respond, but you can't for whatever reason, simply acknowledge the comment as soon as you can, Um, you know, and then do your research or, you know, step away from the computer and and, um, give yourself some space. You might just type, you know, I wanted to let you know that I saw this and I'll respond soon. 
and then make sure that you actually respond. And if possible, and if you need to, you know, step away for a few hours, sleep on it, you know, do whatever you need to do. The truth is that the nonstop cycle of outrage is constantly churning. And things that have people fired up today or even this week, they just won't stick around that long. One of the things you have to figure out is if the sentiment that is expressed will stick around, either based on what you know about the topic or what you know is maybe coming down the road. If it's going to stick around, it's probably best to respond sooner rather than later. If it's something that you feel like, oh, this is just a flare up and it'll die down, then it might be worth stepping away from and it might look different the next morning or even a few days later and you won't feel compelled to respond. And that brings me to another important point, which is to decide if it even needs a response. Because the truth is, you don't have to engage with everything that you disagree with. Responding might only draw attention to it, and it breathes new life into the thread. And sometimes, you know, it's rare that the person who posts is looking to be influenced or to have their mind changed. And your response is probably not going to necessarily have that impact. If it's misinformation, then point them towards an objective source of facts. Don't just say you're wrong, but non-judgmentally correct them. Provide evidence or the link or the facts that prove your point. And avoid, you know, and and here I'm speaking to the person who might be posting in a professional capacity to um, negative comments. Avoid any false placation that could sound condescending or canned. Things like, we take your feedback seriously, and we will do everything we can to address it. Or, we love to hear from you, so thanks for sharing. Those are all nice, and they seem polite, but it can also, especially in this day and age, seem impersonal and dismissive. It looks like, uh, you know, something that you've copy and pasted from a script. So before you go to those kinds of default responses, consider first, if you took just a little bit of extra time, you could actually give a a real personal response to their comment to avoid that kind of scripted reply. If you do decide to respond, pretend that you're actually talking to the other person in real time, in real life, face-to-face. Don't write anything that you wouldn't say to their face. Identify yourself if you're responding through an organizational account. So even if it says, you know, I'm writing from ABC Corporation and that's where the post is coming from, say, hi, this is Beth and I'm, you know, the vice president of operations and I read your comment and here's my response. So identify yourself and that helps to let people know that you're not just a cold corporate entity or, um, you know, an organization that's out of touch, that there's an actual person behind the comment. For all of us, whether you're an organization or just a, you know, a private citizen, when you're reading something, especially if it pokes the bear, um, consider, does the person have a point? Is there truth under the emotion? At least truth for that person. And then, you know, depending on the context, you can ask yourself, what's my role as a catalyst for this comment? You might just be an easy target, or it might be directed at you for a specific reason. This is one of those reasons why you read a comment or a post three times before responding. It might take some time to figure this one out, to say, do they have a point? And if so, 
how do I want to respond thoughtfully to that point? If through the course of, uh, you know, a comment thread or a posting that you've made, there's something that's wrong, there's a mistake, um, there's an error, you say something that somebody um, takes offense to that you did not mean, I go to the words of Dale Carnegie. If you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. If you're wrong, or you made a mistake, or you hurt someone, admit whatever you can take responsibility for. You don't have to grovel, and you don't have to over-apologize, nor do you have to apologize for things that aren't yours. Claim the part that was bothersome to the other person. Leave behind the rest. Keep your apology simple and specific. Name the error and clearly say, I'm sorry. And I would add, avoid, I'm sorry, if you are offended. Clearly, if they say, I was offended by your comment, they were offended. There's no if about it. It doesn't matter what your intention was. You could say, I'm sorry, my comment offended you. That is more accurate. You're not saying admitting your comment was offensive, but you are acknowledging that the other person had a particular response to it. Again, if you're representing a business or an agency, respond publicly whenever possible. That just basically shows that you aren't afraid of criticism and others can see your response. If you just decide to respond offline, you know, through messenger or through email, other people don't know that you are being responsive. So, you know, show that you're open to that kind of feedback and that you're willing to put it out there publicly. To wrap up here, and you know, you've probably gotten this impression based on what I've already said, but don't post anything that you don't want to live forever. It doesn't matter if you delete it, it doesn't matter if you clear your cash, um, close your account, none of that will wipe out whatever it is that you wrote. Assume that it's archived somewhere. Assume that someone will take a screenshot and reshare your comment. And this comes from a boss of mine that I had like, you know, 12, 13 years ago. She said, you know, ask, and this was pre-social media. She said, ask yourself, if this were printed on the front page of tomorrow's paper, would you still say it? And in this context, she was talking about an email or um, in a meeting, but it absolutely applies to social media. If it were on the front page of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, would you still say it? And one of the points that I really appreciated that came up in the training was someone who had worked on vetting comments for a public platform. So he saw the good, the bad, the ugly over a period of years. And he says he makes a point to use his real name as his username because it keeps him accountable. Because he knows if he's attaching his name to it as opposed to, you know, um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang 99, where it feels relatively anonymous, but it's really not because it can be traced back to your ISP address and, you know, other things, you know, somehow, you know, many things can be tracked down. But that said, most people aren't going to do that. So you will remain anonymous. His point, and, and I agree with this, using your real name keeps you honest, it keeps you accountable, it keeps you responsible. It keeps you in that mindset of if I'm attaching my name to this, if this came back to me in six months, you know, two years, 10 years, would I be okay with that? And it's a way of keeping yourself in check. 
So your call to action is an invitation to be intentional about your presence on social media, particularly how you respond when your buttons are pushed. And if I had to pick only one or two of the tips that I've offered here for you to focus on, the most important ones are to take time to read for understanding while validating sources and to put your comment or post through the in real life test. Would you say or post the same thing if the person were standing right in front of you? Only post what you'd be willing to say to someone's face. If whatever system that you're part of, whether that's work, community, government, church, or school, would benefit from an interactive training that teaches you how to have more productive conversations and healthier conflict, and that includes social media, then I would love to explore that with you. If you'd like to learn more, you can send me a quick email at beth at howcanisaythis.com, or you can go to the website howcanisaythis.com and complete the contact form. And reaching out to me and even having a conversation does not not obligate you to anything. It just gets us connected so that we can have a conversation about what you're looking for and to see if we're a good fit for each other. And I'm always happy if it's not a good fit for whatever reason, I love to be able to refer people to my colleagues. And so really, it's a no-lose conversation. So I do invite you to reach out. And I do hope, again, I'll reiterate that you share this episode with any friends, family members, or colleagues that you think might find it interesting. And I do really appreciate your reviews and ratings on whichever platform you listen to. Please also subscribe if you're not already and come back for future episodes. You are part of this movement to create more courageous communication in the world. This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Courageously.